Hello, everybody, and welcome to the eighth episode of Bullseye. I'm Tamsin Wolf, and I'm back after a brief hiatus. I just do that sometimes, and I do apologize just while I sort of get my nerve together to do the next episodes, particularly because I just want to really make that clear that this one, this episode I'm doing today, called the bike, what am I calling it? The bikey, which is what we call bikers in Australia because we put ease on the end of everything, as you know. And, yeah, it's a pretty triggering, pretty dark kind of episode, so I'm just putting that out there to begin with. So please take care and maybe don't listen if you are feeling a bit fragile because it is a little full on. And, yeah, thanks for joining me again. I really appreciate the wonderful encouragement I've received from all of you and, and special hi to all my listeners in America. That still blows me away to know that there seems to be quite a lot of you in America that listen regularly. And, yeah, I really appreciate it. And, yeah, any comments you ever want to leave me, just feel free to do that as well so I'd know who you are, I know who you are because I'd really like to know. And I can send out a couple of hellos to you all when I come on to record. I just wanted to say, because I'm likely to forget if I leave this till the end, that I'm just doing a little giveaway at the moment of a fantastic book that I've just finished reading. It's only recently come out and it's called How Many More Women? And it's exposing how the law silences women. And it's by Jennifer Robinson and Kina Yoshida. And I'll just read the back blurb for you, just so you know what it's about. It says, how many more women have to be raped and abused before we act? Need to accuse him before we believe her. Will be failed by the criminal justice system. Need to say something before we do something. Will be sued for defamation for speaking out. Will be contracted to silence. So, yeah, it's a little heavy in spots, but it's just, I just believe it's a must read for every woman or Pretty much every person on the planet because it is just necessary information that we need to have up our sleeve about how we go about these things. Just there's these women are just incredible that have compiled these examples and stories that they've obviously researched really, really well. And yeah, it's just a fascinating read. So I'm doing a little giveaway of that. So if you just want to drop me an email at tamsinwolf at gmail.com, that's Tamsin, T-A-M for Mary, S-I-N for Nelly, and then W-O-L-F for Freddie E. So tamsinwolf at gmail.com and just tell me that you've entered the competition to win the book. And it's open to all of you. So please, wherever you are, just feel free to enter and I'll draw the winner for next time for the next episode anyway that's just a little thank you from me when i occasionally going to do these sort of things just to thank you for tuning in and for your patronage and your support thank you again so this episode is as i said called the bikey and it's about a very heavy incident that happened it's the follow-on from the episode when i talked about the incident with my stepfather attacking me in the bathroom when I was 13 years old and this one comes fairly immediately after that as it didn't to my memory it didn't seem to be far past that event that this actually happened 
just things as they got progressively dark and darker and worse and more hideous with my stepfather and it was just far more dangerous to be in the home that I lived in and they there were just very much endless incidents going on. I made friends and I can understand, you know, in hindsight how ridiculously foolish this is to yeah, you know, to look back on it now and think what on earth was I thinking, but I was literally a very young, very immature child and, you know, wanted to have somebody to trust, I think, so I used to quite often trust the wrong people. But I ended up making friends or what I thought were friends with a, a bikey gang, that another name for bikers, uh, in the little neighbourhood that I lived in. They just lived around the corner sort of halfway between where I lived and the general store that I often went to for groceries and stuff, pick up bread and milk and all that kind of thing. And I used to visit them fairly regularly and I used to uh, wag school, just skip school a lot of the time too and just hang out with these guys that lived around the corner. And they were all probably sort of late 20s, early 30s. and they all, for a good many months, treated me like I was their little mascot or their little sister to some degree and never, you know, showed any sign of mistreating me or, you know, anything that, you know, in, in an obvious kind of way. I mean, they provided me with fairly endless supp- supply of drugs, of marijuana and pills and stuff that they just took all the time. And, you know, again, in hindsight, what a dreadful thing to be doing to supply a 13-year-old with these things. But I thought that they were doing me a favour at the time. And, you know, in the mind of a child, God knows what you're thinking. But I just believed that they cared about me and that they were there more or less as my protectors. And I'd tell them about my stepfather and the things that had been going on. And they'd make jokes that, you know, weren't really jokes, I think, underneath it all about knocking him off the perch and getting rid of him, which in some ways I used to sort of wish they would. But, yeah, I suppose, again, in hindsight, that was probably not a good idea if that had happened. But, yeah, they I just thought they were very much on my side and I'd go there a lot and just spend hours there in a big kind of shed that they had, big garage that they lived in, sort of on the side of a, an older lady's house. And I'm um, sorry if you can hear my dog barking in the background there. I'm not sure whether you can or not through this mic, but he's being a bit vocal. He's barking at the cows this time. Uh, yeah, I. so my story is about very big betrayal, again, by a man that I trusted that was around this time. And I had actually been sent to the shop by my mum uh, one lunchtime to pick up a loaf of bread and so I took off to go to the shop and the shop was literally five minutes away from where we lived just around the corner and as I say halfway there where the where the bikies lived and so I called in there just to say hello quickly and uh, as I used to do quite often it wasn't a big deal or anything unusual that I'd stop to to have a smoke with them like a joint smoke of a joint marijuana cigarette or a bong I'm trying to think in various cultures what all these things would be called but I think everyone pretty knows 
pretty much knows what a bong is with cones and everything. But yeah, you, I stopped and had a bit of a smoke with them on the way. And this wasn't unusual really because I was often affected by drugs around my mum and my stepfather at this time. And I think that I used to not not necessarily hide it well, but I think I just functioned fairly well under the circumstances because I was just numb and dead inside anyway, so I don't think it made a great deal of difference. But anyway, the, this day, I, when I had stopped to see them, there was nearly always five or six different guys there, and I knew them all really well, but the head of the the gang, he was just there on his own this day when I called in and he was always very sweet to me, very, I remember even that in the sort of headquarters where they where they lived and where they slept, there would be, you know, porno magazines and stuff kind of lying around and he'd always make a point of when I stopped there to quickly clean anything like, like that up and put it away and you know, apologise to me and sort of say, you know, that's not appropriate to be have that lying around when you're visiting and which the irony of saying all that is incredible when you look back on it but he so basically I mean I'm just setting the scene just to say I would never have seen what transpired coming pretty much because I just trusted these people implicitly and stupidly obviously and just kind of thought that you know they were the brothers that I wished I'd had that would protect me and truly did care about me but this day I was with the the head one and he said that he'd make me a little treat I think is the way he put it and he made something that to this day I'm not a hundred percent sure what it was but I've been told that he called it a snow cone and to my knowledge that was a cone that had marijuana in it with a kind of dusting on top of heroin and I'd never tried heroin before and I haven't since and I didn't really understand what was going to happen by me having it and but I because I trusted him I just thought it was just something with a bit of an extra kick in it and you know that I'd still be able to function fairly well afterwards all this time mind you you've got to remember I've gone to the shop to get a loaf of bread five minutes away and was going to be five minutes coming back so the next thing you know that I I smoked it and that's the last thing I remember is just smoking this cone of whatever it was snow cone and that is literally like from that moment on it was like lights going out and just I have no idea truly what really transpired within those couple of hours or a few hours I think it was later before I woke up again and I was in the head bikey's bed and I didn't have any clothes on except my underpants which had a little bit of blood on them and I just felt really really uncomfortable and really just sick like sick to the stomach I remember that feeling and I knew I hadn't been necessarily beaten or anything. I hadn't been beaten up, but I, I felt that, you know, I, I had pain in my genital area and I, I can only surmise as to what I think 
happened and what he did. He wasn't around when I woke up in his bed and there was just that sort of light of early evening coming through the window. That's the thing I remember, just looking up at the window that was high above, high in the, on the wall of the shed and just watching the light come through and knowing it was that kind of light just before evening and registering that I'd been away a long time. And so I got myself together, got my clothes on. He still wasn't there. I just started to walk home. And as I neared and got closer to home, I saw my mother, who was very inattentive at the best of times. So for her to have been concerned about where I was, it it would have been just a really unusual thing, you know, full stop and very out of character for her to even be wondering where I was, but this time was particularly strange because I was sent on a very quick errand. And I just remember I could see her in the distance kind of thing, standing at the side of the road, just looking up and down the road for me, obviously. And when she spotted me, I just remember her coming towards me and just the look on her face I'll never forget was just complete confusion and almost disgust is what I would have called it which she did do that quite often that was a common setting on her face when she looked at me but I yeah I just remember her just looking like she just couldn't quite make out what was wrong with me or what she was looking at kind of thing because she and then she walked up and she was smelling my hair I remember that and I was going stop smelling my hair and but she just it was just a a feeling of complete confusion just around us both and then I just remember just saying what the hell have you done where have you been and sort of dragging me and hiding me because as I told you before we've lived we lived in a motel we ran and managed a motel with just sort of six or seven little rooms at that time so I remember her dragging me into room two which was empty at the time just to keep me away from my stepfather so he didn't see me and just her just yelling and crying and asking what on earth had I done and had I seen my own face and I remember looking in the mirror and my face was this very ghoulish colour of grey-green and it was really frightening because I just remember thinking I looked like I was dying, like I looked, it was just a terrible feeling and the most terrible dead look in my eyes as well and I remember, I don't actually know how my stepfather realised I was in there or whether she ended up telling him, but he came into the room, into room two of the little motel and was just pushing me around the room, calling me a slut, saying, where have you been? Oh, just, he's just a horrible man. Every time I go to focus on him, I just need to get off the topic because he was such a monstrous man. And I remember him sort of pulling my my body up and pushing my face towards the mirror in the little bathroom in room two and just saying, look at yourself, look at yourself, look how ugly you are and Yeah, so that would have been his way of, you know, just responding to such a situation. He wouldn't have a bone of empathy in his body or any any kind of understanding of anything pretty much. Yeah, so the, the story obviously goes on. I was very, very sick. I was vomiting a lot, vomiting for hours and hours afterwards and honestly feeling like I was going to die and I wanted to die. I've never felt so sick and... I remember 
somehow mum eventually getting the story out of me about where I'd been and I told her but I omitted anything to do with what he had done to me or what had happened while I was there. I just kind of made out that I stopped there to say hello and that, you know, it had gone wrong because I'd I'd taken something that had obviously had a bad effect on me and just kind of left it at that. But I remember my mum, and again, very unlike her to have any kind of reaction to anything in those days, but she was so furiously angry. I remember she went around there, you know, that evening and apparently I wasn't there. I didn't go with her, but apparently I had found out later that she'd been yelling at him in front of other people and just saying, what did you do to my daughter? There's obviously something wrong with her. What did you do? What did you give her? And he was yelling back at her that it was her fault that I was the way that I was and that I was obviously destined for a lot of trouble in my life and it was the fault of my parents and the way that they had treated me and that you know, he just was obviously deflecting any kind of blame and saying you need to keep an eye on her because she's going to be headed for, you know, a hell of a lot of trouble in her life and everything. And so it was all just a very horrible situation. And my mother vowed that the next day she was going to the police to report the situation and report them, report them for giving me drugs, which, you know, fair enough, um, it's what most normal mothers would have done, I guess, at the time. Um, I never think of my mum as being a normal mum, but in that respect, that time I can totally see where she was going and why she was going to do that, and I didn't blame her. And, yeah, this is it gets even darker still after this because the next day, as far as I know, I'm pretty sure my mum actually had made a report or was on her way to make a report or was there was some kind of progress with it and all of a sudden we found out that the head biker that had done this to me um, rode his motorbike off a bridge deliberately and um, ended his own life and so that sort of put an end to any you know retribution I can't say that word retribution or you know criminal charges or anything obviously because then he was dead so it was a very, very dark situation and this again was coming very much closer to the end of my time living with my stepfather. It's very close to the end days and as I say, that there's a lot more that goes on after after that time, like a lot more situations and a lot more episodes to tell you about. But this one, I don't know. I find it very difficult to put into words how this one has affected me or, you know, I feel obviously it has in a lot of ways as all of these stories have, but that one often feels almost a little bit dreamlike to me, like it was just such a surreal thing to happen and just such a almost sort of nightmarish occurrence. And I, I do just remember the absolute feeling of betrayal being the the worst thing that I felt about it because I had truly trusted these people, you know, to take care of me. I never, ever would have believed that one of them would hurt me in any way. And especially the one who did, I would have thought he would have been the last one. 
Uh, there's probably a lot more I could explain, and I, I'm sorry if it comes across as disjointed, this story, in any way, but that's about as much as I can explain about it, that that's what happened, that I was just a very, very lost, very sad, very, I have no other words, but the little girl I was at that time, I think, looking back, that I was actually very, very innocent. I may not sound like it, but at the time... I think I was. I was very trusting, very, I always thought I was very sort of sweet-natured and very kind little girl. And, uh, yeah, I just made some very, very effed-up decisions, as you do when you're in a situation of very constant abuse as a child. And I know that, again, there's many more of you out there that are going to relate to not just this story, but you know, what happens to you and, again, how it writes on the slate of who you are in your life when you've been abused as a child and it, one thing can lead to another until there's just constant dark stories one after another. But, again, I always like to say I'm still here and this story was one I really wasn't looking forward to telling, but I'm glad that I have now. I feel like when I listen back to this, it's going to be a bit like I... I've missed something out or it doesn't make sense or something, but I hope that in some way it sort of is together enough just to make it some sort of story that can be followed. And, yeah, I encourage again anyone who wants to tell me, you know, any kind of stories that they'd like to get off their chest. I've always um, already received a couple from several of you um, at tamsonwolf at gmail.com and I'm very open to more. I'm always here to listen and I'm very grateful that you're listening to me and together, yeah, I just know that that we can heal and we need each other and we need a voice and together our voice will always be loudest. So, yeah, again, I uh, thank you so much for everything and for sticking with me up until this, the eighth episode, and I'll really try again not to put too big a gap in between this episode and the next one. The next one is reasonably dark and heavy as well, but probably not quite as much as today, so I'll just put that out there as well, and then the the few after that are probably a little bit the same, so this is a little bit of a darker period of storytelling, and I hope that everybody that's listening is okay with it and reaches out for help if it's triggered you in any way that's just too much to deal with. And this has been Bullseye and I'm Tamsin Wolf. And please, if you could, when you're listening to me on whatever platform you listen to, or you listen to me on, if you could please just press the follow button um, as well as all of you who are downloading the episodes because that really helps a lot with me getting this out further. The more followers I have, the better. And, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of downloads, which I'm very, very grateful for, and thank you again. And I'll talk to you very, very soon. And lots of love to you all. I'm Tamsin Wolf. Bye. Bye.